on. And I don't want to ramble on. I want to get on into the word. Amen. So uh, let's go to 2 Kings chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 2 and 3. 2 Kings chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. When you find it, stand with us for the reading of the word today. Amen. 2 Kings chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. While you're finding it, I just want to testify, take a moment myself and testify about all just what happened last weekend in Winterfest. Uh, it was a powerful time in the Lord. It was wonderful just watching uh, the young people from this church uh, just stand up, accept that God was putting callings on their lives. Uh, we had some of our young people that when they asked the question, do you feel like God is calling you into a ministry that raised their hand? And so we're going to be working and cultivating their callings and and uh, see where God goes with that. Amen. And that's an exciting thing. When you look around at the world and the culture that we're in right now, and you see all the absolute ungodliness and the evil, and you see, you know, there's uh, some people have a mindset that, you know, all youth are bad and all youth are sort of lost. But, you know, the truth of the matter is that's not right. We've, there's a lot of young people. And I'm going to say something about these young people. They're on fire and they're going to shake this world. Amen. And it pushes on me. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I still think of myself as a young person. I know that when I look in the mirror, the guy looking back at me is not a young person. But uh, in my mind and heart, I still think that I'm a young guy. But I can tell you when I watch this generation coming up, it presses me. It makes me realize, hey, I can't lay down right now. I can't, I can't get slack in my service to God because I don't want to let this generation outdo me. Amen. I want to, be in, I want to lead these guys. So uh, Brother Lance has already put us on notice. Hey, y'all better watch it because we're coming up the trail after you. Amen. And we are coming hard. So praise God. Challenge accepted. Amen. We're going to serve God. Ain't that right? Amen. As, how many understand that's a good thing? The word says iron sharpens iron. Amen. And it's good to have brothers and sisters holding us accountable and saying, hey, if you ain't going to serve God good, I'm going to serve God good. And then we'll just let what happens. Well, that stirs me up, makes me want to serve God good. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's get into the word. Second Kings chapter three and start reading together in verse two. The word of God says, and he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and like his mother. For he put away the image of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. He departed not therefrom. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and I want you to pray with me and for me in this place right now. Father, we come before you this morning. I praise you, Lord. I, for the presence of your spirit, I feel such a stirring, a joy, God, a confidence in the house right now. And Lord, I know that you are dealing with us. You're dealing with your people right now. And we praise you for that. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that as we've worshiped, I already believe that chains have begun to be broken in the midst right now. But Lord, we've come to this moment in this place. 
in the service, Lord God, where it is for me to bring forth the word. Hallelujah. For me to bring forth what you have put upon my heart for this congregation and share unto this people what you would speak unto us in the house right now today. So, Father, as we come to this moment and place, I stand before you and I seek for your anointing. I seek, Heavenly Father, your anointing on this word that will be preached. I seek, Heavenly Father, for your anointing upon the vessel that will bring forth this word today. And I seek, Heavenly Father, for your anointing upon every man, every woman, every young church person, and every child that will hear this word right now. Hallelujah. That even now as we are praying and seeking you, you are making us ready. You are stirring in our hearts and minds, making us ready to hear what you would speak unto us through the word and in spirit right now, that none of it will be lost. But today, Heavenly Father, we will be bettered by you. We will be made more complete by you. We will be perfected more to be like you today because of the power of the word and the presence of your spirit. And Father, in this right now, we give you praise. And in this right now, we give you glory and honor in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. You can be seated if you want to in the house this morning. Amen. If I was going to title my message today, the title would be, It's Not Good Enough to Just Be Better. Amen. It's not good enough to just be better. Jehoram had taken over leading Israel. And the word of God says that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. But we see that as he said that, uh, Brother Lance, as God said that uh, through the word that Jehoram did evil, it also made the statement, but he did better than his father and his mother. Amen. So let me put this, Brother Jeremy, in different terminology for us. Because what I think we really need to glean from the word today is that Jehoram probably thought he was doing a good job. The word tells us that Jehoram actually removed Baal from Israel. That he had taken the worship of the god of Baal, which was we know throughout history was a major problem and a continual relapse for the children of Israel that worshiping Baal would fall back in and become a problem in Israel. Amen. So Jehoram took Brother Moke and got rid of Baal worship. I would submit unto you this morning that in Jehoram's mind uh, that he thought, well, I'm doing better than my mom and dad. And so because of that, then I, I'm, I'm on a good track. Amen. I'm probably a righteous guy in the eyes of God. I'm probably living better than they did. I've removed a, a main source of idolatry. And so everything is going to be better for me. I believe this morning with everything in me that Jehoram thought that about him himself. Amen. You say, well, how's that relevant to us, preacher? We're going to get into that more in a little bit. Let me just drop this into your spirit right now. I believe there are a lot of people who are trying to serve God and they're using a standard of I'm better than other people that I know. Amen. I'm better maybe than my mom and dad were. I'm better than my uncle and my aunt was. I'm better than other people that I know. Amen. And so because of that, the enemy is allowed to come in 
and he's able to get us to think I'm doing okay because I'm better than they are. But we're going to have to learn a reality. Our standard and our judgment isn't about whether somebody else is doing good or bad. Our standard and our lineage, our judgment comes down to this. Am I living according to the teaching of the word of God in my life? Am I making any sense right now? Amen. So Jehoram thought that he was doing good, but we see in the analysis of scripture from God's vantage point, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Amen. We get on down into verse three and it says specifically what he did that made him listed among those who were evil in the sight of the kings of Israel. And that is that he did and followed after and continued in the footsteps of Jeroboam. Amen. Now I need to give us a little bit of a history lesson. By the time we get into second Kings, Israel is no longer one nation. It is no longer one single kingdom. There's been a split in the kingdom. There's a northern Israel and a Judah in the south. Amen. And there would have been a rift and Jeroboam was the king that came in after or at the beginning of this split. Amen. If we go back to 1 Kings. So in other words, we have to recognize something. If we're going to find out what was wrong with Jehoram and realize that the problem was because he followed after Jeroboam. Aren't you glad they got names just, just close enough in the Old Testament to cause you to stumble and to trip and get your tongue tied in between them? I'm going to attempt today to not get my tongue all turned around and to not mix or match these guys. And, 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 uh, and if you'll help me, so if I mess up, you know, just, just chuckle a little bit and I'll know. Sister Kathy, you don't say anything, amen. But because uh, Sister Kathy, I'm just kidding, Ray, man. She's good about when I make a mistake. Hey, wait, wait, wait. So, amen. Uh, but but I'm going to do my best today to not get tongue-tied. You know I'm teasing you. Amen. I'm going to do my best today to not get tongue-tied. So Jehoram, the word says, was evil because he followed the following of Jeroboam. Now, this is peculiar to me, Sister Nicole, because it says on one hand that he got rid of Baal worship, but then it says he was evil because he followed after Jeroboam. So I think, Brother Hunter, to help us get an understanding of where he got off the rails in such a profound way, we need to go back and find out what was wrong with Jeroboam, amen. In the 14th chapter of 1 Kings in chapter 9, the word of God says that Jeroboam was, and this is Elijah speaking, he said Jeroboam, Brother Cody, was the worst of all the kings in the history of Israel for his sinfulness, amen. Man. Wow. I want you to think about that. The Word of God tells us there's some pretty uh, ungodly people that came along and inherited the throne, Brother Jerry. But now, Elijah is saying Jeroboam is the worst of the worst of the people that sat in the throne of God's people. Amen. That's a pretty big statement right there. But we need to understand then, okay, what did Jeroboam do that was so wrong? What, what did he do? The Bible tells us if we go back a little further into 1 Kings, the word tells us exactly what he did. What he did, a man in 1 Kings chapter 12, the Bible tells of this story. That after the kingdom split, you remember a moment ago I said at this time in history, Brad Israel was no longer just one nation, but it is split into Israel and Judah. So when they split, they had two separate kings. You had a king over Judah and Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem, the city of God, was in Judah. Amen. The northern tribes were called Israel, and they were under Jeroboam. Jeroboam, the word of God tells us, uh, began to consider and think about his political future. And what he did, Brother Ride, the word says, uh, he began to think about this. If my people of Israel travel back to Jerusalem and worship every year like they're supposed to, I'm going to have a problem. See, you need to realize something. Every year, all of the people of Israel were supposed to go to Jerusalem and worship in the temple. Amen. Jeroboam understood we've just had this major separation, Brother Mo. The nations are, we're now two nations. We have two kings. We've got two kingdoms now, but we're bound together. Watch this. We're bound together by one God. Oh, come on, somebody. He understood we are two peoples, but yet we have one God. And he began to think about this. Sister Moke, he said in himself, the word tells us that I realize if my people start going back down to Jerusalem and worshiping God, they're going to begin to repent. Come on, somebody. And they're going to begin to wonder, well, why do we need Jeroboam? And maybe we need to come back together as the people. You know what he was worried about? He was worried about this simple fact. If these people up here under me keep going down to Jerusalem and worshiping God, when they're down there in the midst of worshiping God, Sister Sheila, one of these days God's going to get a hold of their heart and the Lord's going to do something and God's going to begin to work to try to bring Israel back together into unity. Can I tell you something this morning? The enemy still works in the kingdom of God's people trying to keep us separated because he knows when we come together and we get into one mind and one accord that we have power and we can do mighty things in the name of Jesus Christ. But if the enemy can keep us separated, if he can keep us at odds, then he can keep us weak and he can keep us broken. But I've got news for you today. I believe that right now in this generation, God is stirring in the midst of his people and he's leaning upon us to get our eyes off of the distractions, to cleanse ourselves of the idolatry and to pursue holiness and a rightness in him, not judged by the standards of anybody else, but judged by the holy standards of a holy God and his holy word. Come on, somebody. Thank you, Jesus. So Jeroboam knew, man, if, if, if Israel keeps going down to Jerusalem, I'm going to have a problem here. So the word tells us again in 1 Kings chapter 12, he came up with a solution. And his solution was this. I'm just going to give them something else to worship. Come on, somebody. The Bible says, uh, Brother Scott, that he created two golden calves. Uh, amen. He realized uh, something that we have seen cripple the church uh, in the last two years. I'm going to tell you something. This last couple of years, have been an eye opener to the pastors and the preachers and the evangelists to the body of Christ. We, we have seen, it's been exposed to us exactly how spiritually weak and vulnerable that the body of Christ was. Amen. I'm not beating up nobody. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just talking factually to you today. We have watched the people of God come to a place now where we have fallen 
into the distraction of convenience. Come on, somebody. And what Jeroboam understood was this. He said, I know if I can give these people something else to worship, I can keep them distracted and I can keep them away from their true one and holy God. So the word says he created two molten calves. Anybody, does it sound familiar to anybody else? Is there a familiar ring to anybody else's ear this morning when you talk about the two golden calves? Does it take you back to the time when God was delivering Israel from Egypt and Moses went up to the mountain? Come on, somebody. And when he stayed longer than the people of, uh, of Israel, when Moses was longer tarrying in the mountain in the presence of God, that they began to be impatient, waiting upon the Lord. And Sister Lisa, the Bible says, they thought amongst themselves, Moses is gone. We need to create us another God. And the word says they took the gold from the people and they fashioned and formed a golden calf. This is exactly, Sister Brittany, where this come from. You say, well, how are they connected together? They're connected together because Jeroboam knew, I need to find something that will strike a chord of familiarity. <laughs> when I begin to give them something else to worship, I need to, I need to strike a chord, a, a, a deep chord at home with something that will sound somewhat familiar to their life, amen. And so the word tells us that when Jeroboam made the calves, he did that, not just one, because he knew I don't want the same situation of commitment that it takes for Jerusalem. I need to show the people a convenient way. So he put a calf in two separate cities spread throughout Israel. Why? So it would make it easier and more convenient and a shorter distance so that anybody in Israel could travel a lesser distance and have a God to worship. Watch this now, though. When he created the golden calf, this is what he said to the people of Israel. This is the God that led you out of Egypt. Oh, y'all didn't hear me. I said when he created the golden calves, uh, uh, Sister Mary, he said, these are the gods that led you out of Egypt and brought you free from Egypt. Does that sound familiar to anybody this morning? It's exactly the same thing that Aaron and the others when they were creating the first golden calf in the wilderness, amen, when Moses was up on the mountain, they made the declaration, this is the God that delivered you from Egypt, amen. What are you saying, preacher? I'm telling you that the same lies that the devil used in the past is the same lies that he uses in every generation. His lies aren't new. There is nothing new for him. He has no new and improved weapon. It's the same thing from generation to generation. And it always boils down to this. When he knew that he wanted to keep the people from going to Jerusalem to worship their God, he knew the thing, Brother Dale, that he had to do to make it hit, to make it work. The thing that he had to do was to make it convenient and to make it cheap. Come on, somebody. Yep. I'm going to tell you something. 
when God put it upon his people to come to Jerusalem. I'm going to get behind this pulpit because I'm going to step on some toes right now. When God put it upon his people to come to Jerusalem once a year to worship him, he understood, Brother McCullough, this is going to be a wait. This is going to be a commitment. This is going to be at times and at seasons in your life a heavy thing. Come on, somebody. Oh, let me just meddle for a moment. Isn't it easy to give God his tithe and, and offering and worship him when everything is good? Come on, somebody. Oh, I, I'm, I'm talking to somebody today. Come on now. But when things are tight, when things are hard, when there's not no extra, it's those moments that staying faithful has a weight to it. Come on. It's in those moments that, that doing the right thing is not always the easy thing to do. It's easy to do the right thing when, when, when you got plenty. Come on now. But when it's tight, <laughs> when the bark is tight on the tree, then it's, it's a little bit harder to make that decision. And, and trust me, this isn't a money message. This isn't trying to get, we've already took the offering, amen. When I didn't preach this before, the, we've already got the offering out of the way today. I'm just using that as an analogy, amen. That, that it's when things are tough. And so God knew that when he made that commitment, Sister Michelle, that there were coming to Jerusalem is gonna be a sacrifice. It's gonna be at times a hard thing. Brother Arnold, it's going to be at times a commitment, but it's not meant to be easy. It's not always worshiping God and serving God is not based upon the premise that this is going to be easy for us. It's based upon this premise that he is worthy of, oh my God. Serving God is not based upon the premise that life is going to be easy when you are saved. It's not based upon the premise that serving him is a, the thing to do because it's the easy thing to do. Serving God is based upon the premise that he's God and he's worthy and he's holy and that he made us holy by the covering of his son, Jesus Christ, that he took unholy and unworthy people, washed us clean by the blood, made us capable and able to come into the presence of a God that deserves all of our praise and all of our glory. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. It's never about the fact that, hey, I'm going to serve Jesus because he's easier than the other guys. I'm going to tell you right now, serving Jesus is not the easiest thing to do because it requires you to surrender your life to him. We preach justly so that, hey, giving God your all is worthy because of what you get in return. And that's absolutely a true statement. But serving God is going to be a battle with your flesh for the rest of your days. You have a carnal fleshly person inside of you that is always going to go against the grain of the things of God. And you have to daily, Paul said, I daily crucify that man inside of me. 
I've had people ask me before, very sincerely, they would say, Preacher, when is it going to get where that old man in me is just gone? I said, you're going to have to ask somebody a lot older than me because mine isn't gone yet neither, amen. And there's times, seem like right when I thought he was gone, something will trigger him, and all of a sudden he's back up out of that old casket, and i got to plead the blood over him and put him back under the submission of the truth of God's word. Come on, somebody. Come on. What are you saying, preacher? What I'm telling you is that God understands that serving him is a commitment. But I've come to make this point to us today. He is worth our commitment. He is worth our dedication. So watch this now. Jeroboam set up the two golden calves. And Cody, there's one thing that he purposed for that there's two functions but they come down to one thing the one function was it's going to be easier for them to go worship this false god it's a it's a shorter journey it's you got two places to choose from and so it's going to cut down your level of a commitment amen but it all comes down to this one thing sister shannon and that is this He basically was saying to the people, I'm giving you an opportunity to worship God, but this way you don't have to worship God on God's terms. You get to worship God on your terms. Come on, somebody. God, you can still worship God, but you don't have to worship him on his terms. God's saying you got to go to Jerusalem hogwash with that i'm just going to make it so you can come to either one of these other two alternative cities now the problem is uh, you even though you're still worshiping god well you're not really worshiping god because there is no other god amen it's a molten calf it's made by the hands of man it has no life it has no spirit it has no ending amen it's just a thing and i've come to tell somebody today the minute you let something begin to get in the way of you worshiping God in fullness and in truth. You've opened the door to idolatry and you begin to separate yourself from the true God. Come on, somebody. What are you saying, preacher? I'm here to tell you it's not enough to just replace the gods. You've got to kill the old God. You've got to get rid of the idols in your life. You have to worship God as Jesus said, in spirit and in truth hallelujah come on somebody oh I know this is now running shouting hooping and hollering the Lord's going to help us take the hill and proclaim victory message I understand this is a message that says hey child of God you need to look in the mirror you need to figure out who you are you need to recognize are you living for God in the fullness of what God wants you to do Hear me now, because I'm here to tell you today, I I, I was talking to Sister Mixon as I was getting ready for this message, and I told her I believe that one of the Lord, one of the things that God has helped me to see, and I'm not alone, there's other pastors that are going through the same scenario, but one of the things that I think God has helped me to see and let us recognize is this, that throughout 
the last few years. It was already there. It's just exposed now that throughout the last few years, what the enemy has done is gotten people in the church family comfortable, amen, with worshiping God and serving God on their own terms, amen. But I'm here to tell you this morning, church, you listen to me. We have to come to a place where we recognize nothing should stand in between us in our walk with God. Nothing should stand in the way. Anything that we have in our life that hinders us in our commitment, anything that we have in our life that stands in the way of us being able to say, yes, God, I put you in first place. I put you in the number one position, and I'm going to serve you with everything I've got. Anything that stands in the way of that is an idol in our lives. You see, We've, we, we have been, as Westerners, we've really been misinformed, Brother Floyd, in that we've, we think about the term of idolatry, and we think, well, hey, I'm not bowing down to a statue. I'm not praying to a false god. But you see, it comes down to this. Are you making your, and, and, and I mean this in a theological sense, are you still making your pilgrimage to Jerusalem? Say, what does that mean, preacher? What it means is this. Or is is God still your number one? Am I going to do what I'm called upon by the word of God to do no matter what comes against me, no matter what tries to hinder me, no matter what steps in and says, I can give you a more convenient way. Sister Mixon asked me to not say this. I'm going to say it anyway. She's not in here. She's teaching a class. So she can't stop me. Amen. And what I mean by that is sometimes all I need from her is a look and she can stop me right in my tracks. Well, she ain't here to look at me. Amen. Now watch this now. And I got to preface this. I got to preface it. I'm going to be careful because I don't want to unduly Cody hurt anybody. I don't want to hit people that don't need to be hit. So... For those who can't get out, I'm not talking to you. For those who had situation coming, you just couldn't get around, I'm not talking to you. But for those that can get out, I'm talking to you. For those who it's not convenient to get out, I'm talking to you. And we might lose some people off of Facebook with what I'm getting ready to say. But I'm here to tell you, if you've let Facebook become your golden calf that stands in the way of you getting to Jerusalem, then you need to repent and you need to get the idolatry out of your life and get your commitment back to getting into it. You don't have to come to this church, but you need to be in a church somewhere. Facebook is fine. I praise God for the technology and that we can use it for his glory, but I'm telling you, God never intended for Facebook to cause it so people could just sit at home, eat their breakfast, drink their coffee, and just worship along with people on the phone, amen, what he intends for each one of us. The word says, forsake not the assembling together of the family of God, especially... 
as you see the end time coming. Amen. What does that mean? It means God's plan is for every believer to be in a church house when an assembly of God's people come together. They need to be there every week. Every time the church comes together, we need more church, not less church. And in the day and age we live in, we need more of the power of our God. Come on, somebody. But sometimes we let all, and I, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not here to name people's issues today. It's not what I'm about right now. I'm just here to serve notice to the body of Christ at large. That you know what? It's time to get the idols out. It's time to shed ourselves of anything that will stand in the way. Because watch this. I'm, I'm, I'm almost done here. So if you're thinking, man, I'm tired of him beating up on us. Well, hang on. We're almost done. Amen. All along, what Jeroboam was trying to do was keep his people from the truth of God. But all along, Sister Tammy, Jerusalem was always there for him. Come on now. The Bible says, in fact, that many people in Israel, at great sacrifice to themselves wound up leaving the northern tribes of Israel to come down to Judah to worship in Jerusalem. Why? Because they recognized that even though there were two false gods that were closer to home, even though it was cheaper and more convenient to get to the lesser gods and the closer gods, they understood, but God is still there. I've come to tell somebody today, God is still in the house. God is still in the business of saving the lost. God is still in the business of feeding the flock. God is still in the business of healing the sick. God is still in the business of being God in your life. If you'll get away from the other and begin to go back after God, he is still there to be found. And he will reach out to you as you come back to him. He will give you the strength to purge your life of anything that you got wrong. He will help you to come to a place to worship him in spirit and in truth. I, I'm going to share a real quick story. Let me see what time it is. I don't want to be long-winded. Give me just a, just, a, just a minute here. Sometimes, see the enemy, Satan is a sly fox. And sometimes we feel like, well, I, I'm not doing this, that, or the other, so I'm okay. I'm here to tell you that the devil can use anything against you that you will let get in the way of you and God. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm being honest. We were talking before church. Some people allow the enemy to cause them to have the idolatry of worship. Oh, come on, somebody. Come on. Say, now, wait a minute. Surely worship could never become an idol. Oh, yeah. There's people that worship worshiping. Yeah. And I'm here to tell you, that's a real failure. That's a real danger in the modern church community. People can have an idol where they worship the worship. And I'm here to tell you, worship is great. It's part of who we are. But worship is to only get us into the presence of God. Worship is never meant to be worshiped. I don't care what your style is. I don't care what kind of music. That, that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm here to tell you, worship is not to be worshiped. 
The Bible is not to be worshipped. There's a term for people that worship the Bible. The word of God is God's word to us. It's his love to us. It's his instruction to us. But we are not meant to worship the word of God. Oh, come on, somebody. We are meant to worship the God of the word, but we are not meant to worship the word of God. I know somebody just fell out and somewhere in Facebook land, somebody stroked out on me right there. But the truth of the matter is we are not meant to worship that word. That word is to lead us to the one who is worthy of all of our worship. And that is who we are supposed to be worshiping. Amen. Come on, somebody. And you have to be careful years ago. 30 years ago, I wasn't even a pastor, so it's been more than that. But a young woman loved God, got saved on fire. Everybody was excited about this young woman and how she was just, man, I mean, charging the hill, coming after the gates of hell. And I remember one time she stood up in church in a testimony service. And she said, I'm just here to serve the devil notice. I'm just telling him right now, you can't beat me, devil. You bring your best at me. You can't. And when the, she said that, I felt grieved in my spirit. I thought, whoa, 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 whoa. See, it's pride sneaking up in there. And so within a month, Brother Scott, a month, short period of time, all of a sudden, this on-fire young woman shows up to church with a dude. Nobody knew him. Nobody had seen him before. I began to talk to him, quickly found out, knew right off the bat he ain't saved, and all these things. And I'm going to make this the extremely short version of this story. I went to her. Other people went to her. We tried to tell her, wait a minute. You, you can't, you're being unequally yoked here. You're trying to, oh, but, I, but God told me I'm supposed to save them. I'm supposed to leave. No, no, no. God don't work like that. I'm not, I'm not telling you that God can't. I'm just telling you, you'll never find in the word of God where the Lord, where the Lord says, listen, child of God, go get unequally yoked to a servant of sin for the purpose of their salvation. God doesn't do that. Listen to me. Everybody except her could see exactly what was going on. The devil knew her weakness. He knew what she had an area of weakness in. This guy looked exactly like her dream guy. He was everything she ever wanted in a man, except he didn't serve God. He served a different God. He served a lesser God. And the end of the story is she was mad at me. She was mad at the pastor. She was mad at everybody who was trying to help her. She turned her back on everybody that loved her. And she went after this trap. And the trap, once it was set, snapped. And I remember the night she came walking in the back doors of the church, broken. Walked straight from the back doors right during the middle of the song service and collapsed on the altars in front of the church because when the devil was done with her, he was done with her. You say, what does that mean, preacher? It means all of us, all of us need to search ourselves. 
What do we have in our life? Anything in your life that stands in the way of you completely selling out and serving God, anything can be a snare that will become an idol that will cause you to sin and lose out with God. Am I coming in loud and clear today? We're in a season of revival stirring. God is moving in a mighty way, and I'm here to tell you that the devil will fight us every way that he can. He will try to come in through the slightest of cracks in the armor. He will try to sink your boat through the smallest of cracks in the hull. He will try to take you down any little way he can. And I'm here to tell you today, the only one that can stop him is you. I can't come to you and make you live right. If I could, you'd all be fine because I'd wrestle you down and you'd be living right right now. But I can't do that. You're the only one that can do that. And it starts with you seeing who you really are, looking at your life and asking God, Lord, help me, help me, show me, show me the idols in my life. Show me the things that I have let stand in the way of my completely being sold out to serve you. And if we'll do that, he'll help us, Lance. He'll show us the light. He'll shine the light on us and say, there it is. Now, now take my spirit and my word and fix it and come and serve me. Are we ready to serve him today? That's my question. I'm closing. Are you ready to serve him? Not playing games any longer. The time for playing church is past. We're in the end of the age. We're in the time. The door on the ark is getting ready to shut. The rain is getting ready to fall. Judgment of God is at hand. It's time to serve him with everything we got. Stand with me in the house right now. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for helping me to, with this word today. I praise you in it. And it's not my word, it's yours, God. And I know that it is a heavy word. So I'm asking that right now, Father, you will. Father, right now, would you let the word, I believe that the truth is Lord God, been sharp as a two-edged sword. That your word today has divided, Lord God, even the meat from the bones. You've set us aside. You've severed us open to speak to us. Now I'm asking, Heavenly Father, that by the power of the Holy Ghost, you would apply that healing salve and bind us back together. But Lord, as we are being bound by you and your love today, let us be bound with this commitment and this truth that we will, we will let you search our hearts. Show us what's standing in the way, God. And Heavenly Father, help us to have the strength to purge ourselves, to purify ourselves as you would want us to be so that we can serve you in purity, so that we can serve you, Lord God, in holiness, that there's nothing in the way that can be an idol but we just love you and serve you with our fullness. Hallelujah. I ask you right now to speak to us, Lord God. Let, Lord God, if there be any that are angry today, let them give the anger to you and let them, Lord God, be healed and let them be brought to you right now. 
And I pray even for those that would be on Facebook, Lord God, that, Lord Jesus, you would minister unto them, Lord God. Stir upon them. Let the conviction not anger them, but let the conviction cause them to commit unto you, Lord, that they will serve you in fullness and in purity right now with purity in their heart, purity in their mind, purity in their service to you, Lord God. And we just ask you for this. You know what we need of you. So I ask you today to pour it upon us as we seek you in these altars. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Church, you've heard the word today. You know who you are, where you are, what you are. I'm going to open these altars and I'm going to invite everyone in this house for you to come up here and you to balance it out with God and let the Lord speak to you right now. Come on.